Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week nine of our study of Christology, which is an in-depth look at the life and work of Jesus Christ. Now, normally, I would say that the triumphal entry would be the logical next thing to talk about. However, in part two of this series, we already took a deep dive into the three offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And really, that encapsulates everything that the triumphal entry is about. So I think I would be cheating you if I were to redo that one. So let's move on to a new topic that has not already been done. And so today we're going to go through the Last Supper and the significance of the Passover lamb, which is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So the best place to start would be the actual Passover from the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12, and we'll start at verse 1. The word says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Please go down to verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses to smite you. 
and you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, What does this rite mean to you? You shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So what we're seeing here is the original Passover, where God literally passes over the homes of those who follow this ordinance. So the significance of this particular ordinance is that God was going to strike down the firstborn of every household in the land of Egypt. And before he did that, he gave the Israelites the opportunity to be spared from this. And so what they did was they performed this Passover. And this was in direct reflection to the sin that was going on in the land of Egypt and their utter defiance and stubbornness toward everything God had been doing to them in the other nine plagues, as well as how they have treated his people. And so he was going to exact this plague on them, but he didn't want it to affect the Israelites who believed in him. So that's the important thing, is that first of all, it had to be those that believed in him. But secondly, God wanted to demonstrate his glory and his justice to the people of Egypt. So because of their sin, something had to die. Something had to be killed in your place to spare your firstborn. And in this case, it was an unblemished lamb. So in the Old Testament, we see that the Passover lamb distinguished the people of God from the unbelieving Egyptians. The Passover also marked Israel's redemption from Egypt. The Old Testament prophets described the future redemption of Israel many times, as if it was a new kind of exodus. So this was fulfilled completely with Jesus Christ. He is our Passover lamb, and when he arrived and became the sacrifice for us, this marked the arrival of a new exodus, a greater exodus, which resulted in the redemption of our slavery from sin and from the hand of death and from the hand of Satan. So now that we've looked at the Old Testament Passover, let's look at the New Testament Passover, which we call the Last Supper. Now in the New Testament, please turn to Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 20. The word says, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. But deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. 
The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Pretty short and sweet, right? But what he did there was so significant, and that's what we're going to explore right now. This event, the Last Supper, came after his triumphal entry. And as we've seen throughout all the four Gospels, he was strongly hated by the religious leaders of his day. However, he was enthusiastically received by the multitudes of people that sought him out, that saw his miracles, and that he performed healing on. But yet, when he came in on the triumphal entry, that was like the icing on the cake for these Pharisees. They were like, okay, that's enough. He's already been doing plenty of things that upset us, so many things that he has done to blaspheme God, but now he is marching in like he is the Messiah. And so during this time when Jesus is in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, they are already seeking his life and an opportunity to seize him. So when we look at Luke chapter 22, which accompanies what we read in Matthew, we are told that just as the Feast of Unleavened Bread is being prepared, the religious leaders are entering into a conspiracy to do away with Jesus. So while Jesus is preparing the things of God, they are preparing the things of Satan. You can see that contrast there. So at this point, Jesus is entering into what many groups may call his passion. Now, Jesus is fully aware of what's going to happen after all of this. After he's done with his supper, he's going to go to the garden to pray, and he's going to be arrested by the Pharisees, and he's going to be brought to Pilate. He's going to end up on that cross. He knew this was all coming. None of this was a surprise to him. He had been saying it well in advance that all of this was going to happen. Now, as they were preparing the Passover, it says in there that when the hour had come. So, multiple times throughout Jesus' ministry, he mentioned something called his hour. Many times he'll say things like, my hour has not yet come. What is his hour? It's when the final wheels of his ministry come into motion. And that is when he's finishing the Lord's Supper going to the garden, and he gets arrested. That is his hour. That is what he came here to do. Not only to live a godly, righteous life for our righteousness' sake, but also to die on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And now that time is coming. 
So the Passover commemorates God's redemptive action, as we know, in saving his people from Egypt back in the Exodus. And as we saw as well, this is the final plague. This is the 10th plague. And God instructed his people to place the blood of a lamb on their doors. And it seems like God himself carried out this activity because it said that when I pass over the house. So that's very interesting. But also, he would only pass over the houses marked with the blood of the lamb, and their firstborn would be spared. So he spared the Israelites, and he judged the Egyptians. And do you see the comparison between his chosen people and those that are not? So in our case, when we have the salvation of Jesus Christ, we are spared from judgment. We do not enter into the same judgment that unbelievers go through. We still have to go through judgment, but at the end, our verdict is going to be declared innocent because of the blood of the Lamb of God. However, those that don't know Christ are going to be judged, and they're going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire. So really, if we see it the way that we're supposed to see it, in the same way that God rescued the Israelites from the hand of slavery of the Egyptians, we are rescued from the slavery of the world and of sin. We still sin as believers, but we are no longer subject to it, because we are no longer subject to true death. Our bodies may die, but our spirit will not, and our spirit will enter into eternal life with Jesus Christ. So that is why the Jewish people celebrated the Passover. But this was more of a cultural milestone, not only because it was written in the Word of God, in their law, but also it was meant to remember that particular thing without so much of a spiritual emphasis on it. To them, it is a call of remembrance of something that had taken place in the past. And really, the Jewish people understand that this Passover looked forward to a future Passover when the perfect lamb would be sacrificed, but yet they did not receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But we did. And so because Christ died for us on that cross, he was the ultimate and final sacrifice for all sin, past, present, and future. Therefore, that's why today, we don't need to follow the law of Moses exactly like they do. Because Jesus ended the sacrificial system once and for all. There is no more substitute needed when a perfect substitute has already come and taken all the sins of the world. So what we as believers recognize is that this Passover that Jesus implemented was the beginning of a new and greater exodus out of the bondage of sin and death. But there's still going to be one final one, where God will return to the world, he will rescue those that are his, and he's going to judge the world that is not his. So we have that to look forward to, and we get a glimpse of it in the books of Daniel and in Revelation. So let's take a closer look at the Last Supper that we read today. So he gathered his disciples for the Passover, and, and normally 
the man of the house, the leader of the home, the patriarch of a particular family, was responsible for not only leading the Passover, making sure that all the traditions were kept, but also there was certain liturgy that was supposed to be shared at the table. So, for example, when they would get the bread, they would break it, and they would normally say this, This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate when they came from the land of Egypt. That's what normally would be said when they took the bread. But Jesus changed it. He changed the Passover liturgy. Why? Well, for two reasons. One is, he is the only person in the world who has the authority to change the liturgy. But also, Jesus is acknowledging and showing everyone that the Passover was about him. He is the Passover lamb. Therefore, he has the right to change the liturgy and to change the meaning of the Passover. So what he did at that table was he instituted a new covenant. Like he said, it was a new covenant in his blood. So when he took the bread, he changed the meaning of the bread from being a remembrance of what happened in Egypt to it being his body that is broken for us. Now, there is great controversy as to what this meant, and that's unfortunately where there's a lot of disagreements and deviations in not only Protestant circles, but also in Roman Catholicism, because their understanding of that being his body and drinking of the cup as being literal, they believe in something called transubstantiation, where when you accept the wafer, and the juice or the wine, and you drink it and eat it, within your body, it transforms into the literal body and literal blood of Jesus Christ. But that's not at all what Jesus was trying to do. He was showing it to be symbolic. What we call the Lord's Supper or communion is a sacrament, but it is not a sacrament necessary for salvation. But it does have significance to it, and we'll get to that in just a minute. So when he stood up and he broke the bread, he changed the meaning of it, right? And then he did the same thing with the cup. He said that the cup was the New Testament, which is in my blood, which is shed for the remission of your sins. So it's interesting to note that in the early church, Christians celebrated this new covenant sacrament once a week because it was understood to be so important. Now, we don't use it as a form of keeping your salvation, because it doesn't do that. Now, what the intent behind it is to remember the cost that Jesus paid to save you from your sins. But not only that, but Paul talks about it in great length on what it means to observe it properly. It is meant to be an act of remembrance, and self-examination. And I think that is the most important aspect of it today. Paul talks about it in great detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me read to you what it says, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that when the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So what he's describing to the Corinthian people here is that there appears to be a significant weight and significance to the practice of the Lord's Supper. And it's not to be taken lightly. And it should not be taken flippantly either. Because it says that if we do it in an unworthy manner, we will be judged. And something will happen. Some kind of a consequence may happen because of the way that we are disrespecting the Lord's table. So while it is not necessary for your salvation, if you are going to participate in communion, this is a good time to have some soul-searching. This is the time to really surrender your will to the Lord and to examine yourself deeply. Jesus even says it himself, is that if you are at the altar and you remember that you have something against your brother, leave your offering at the altar and go reconcile with your brother. That's kind of what this is for. Because we cannot, as believers, allow sin to fester in our lives. We cannot accommodate with the things of this world, and we cannot be hypocrites. We need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be transparent before the Lord. And when we do that, then we can have a clear conscience when we participate at the Lord's Supper. Now, behind the meaning of the Supper itself, there is some controversy about what is the correct interpretation of this. So, there's a lot of churches that are divided in their understanding of what happens whenever you partake of the Lord's Supper. So, as we said about the Catholic Church, they believe that the substance of the bread and the wine change. But you have somebody else, like Martin Luther, for example, that argued that there is no change in the substance of the bread, but that Christ is in and with the elements. You also have John Calvin, who disagreed with both of those views because of the doctrine of Christ, which was taught at the Council of Chalcedon. And basically, 
what it says at the Council of Chalcedon is that the human nature of Christ is not deified, and it retains its own attributes. The human nature is limited versus the divine nature of Christ, which is unlimited. So what I personally affirm, and I believe along with most Reformed theologians, is that Christ is present by his divine nature. His physical nature is not present, because we are not literally eating him. But we do see that Christ is participating in this. Just like he says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. So he's there, and he's participating with us, but we are not actually eating him. And it would be wrong to think of it that way. So now that we've discussed the relevance between the Passover of the Old Testament and the new Passover of Jesus Christ, let's ask ourselves a few questions here. Why is it significant that God tells Moses that this Passover will be the beginning of a new calendar for Israel? He said that when the Passover came, this would be the first month for you. Why is that significant? So what I think is that for the Jewish people, from the day that the Passover took place, it was a demonstration of their ownership by God. They, that day, became God's chosen people. They entered into a covenant relationship with him. And so that marked a new era for them. And so the same thing for us as Christians happens today. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is almost like a spiritual birthday, which is something that my family looks at. My mom especially is very good about that because she reminds me all the time of anniversaries and my spiritual birthday, and I'm very grateful for that because it does carry a lot of significance. So for us, being saved, That is the beginning of a new calendar for us, just like it was for Israel when they were delivered out of Egypt. Now let's briefly look at the steps that they had to take for the Passover and what it might mean. So they had to take a lamb without blemish, and they had to have it with them for a few days. Why? Well, isn't that symbolic as to what happened with Jesus? how he was with his people for three years before he ended up going to the cross. So there's something to that about how the lamb was in their midst. And it's the same way how Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, because he quite literally was with us in the flesh. And then when the time came for him to be sacrificed, He was sacrificed, and it carried some weight to it, because this wasn't just some animal that you found somewhere on the side of the road. This is one that you spent time with, one that you got to know, one that you perhaps developed a bond with, and then you had to kill it. That carries some emotional baggage with it. That carries some weight to it. And it's a very bitter event, because it says that you eat it with its full body, and you eat it with bitter herbs. So this wasn't the tastiest of meals, but it does represent that sin is bitter in our souls. 
Sin is darkness, and it's not pleasant. We tend to lie to ourselves and say it is and in the short-term pleasures that it offers, but ultimately for our souls, it is bitter. But the bitterness of our sin was placed upon the lamb, and the people were to sacrifice that animal in order to, for it to die in our place. And so they put the blood of it on the lintels and on the doorposts. Not only for the angel of God to see it and pass over the house physically, but also it's to demonstrate that this house belongs to God. Just like it says in the law of Moses that we are to love the Lord our God, and that we're supposed to talk about it with our children at the table when we get up, when we lay down. By doing so, you are demonstrating what you stand for. Just like what Joshua said, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so what you are doing by taking the Passover, by putting the literal blood on the doorposts of the house, you are distinguishing yourself from the Egyptians. You are setting yourself apart. You are making yourself separate. Because God is separate and he is holy. And because we are his children, we are holy by extension. And so we need to be distinguished from the world around us. There needs to be evidence of what you believe. We don't have the blood to put on the doorpost anymore, and that's quite okay with me. But everywhere we go, it needs to be written on our hearts. And the blood needs to be in our actions, in our words, in our behaviors, and in our motivations. That this is who you stand for. Jesus Christ. So as we conclude, I want you to take away a couple of things from this. For one, throughout the rest of this week, and especially the rest of this day, I want you to reflect on what it means to be saved from the wrath of God, to have God's judgment pass over you. I also challenge you that the next time you partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you to give thanks to God for marking you with the blood of the Lamb and sparing you from his judgment and wrath. You are considered clean in his sight because of Jesus Christ. It's nothing you did. It's everything that God did. And reflect on what you've learned in what we've talked about today and how it will help you as you approach the Lord's table in the future. This is a significant sacrament. Again, it doesn't have anything to do with your actual salvation, but how we live our lives and the reverence that we show our Lord means something, and it should mean something. So this isn't something we should take lightly. This is not just something we do every so often at church, and that's just a tradition, but there is a weight to it, a spiritual weight to it. And we need to understand that, and we need to purify our minds and our hearts before God. We need to confess our sins to each other, and we need to confess our sins to the Lord, and approach his table with a clean conscience and a pure heart. We need to live as holy people. It's not just that we are called it because we are, but it also needs to be lived. Because we have a world out there 
that does not know Christ. And to some, you may be the only Christ they ever see. You may be the instrument for them to accept the gospel. And if you don't look like a Christian, and you don't act like a Christian, how are you going to be effective in doing what God has commanded you to do? You would be no different than a Pharisee. You would be a hypocrite. You would be a liar. You would be presenting a gospel that you yourself don't live. And that is the biggest shame that you could give yourself. The biggest slap to God's face that you can give him. So reflect on that. And as we go to the Lord's table next time, empty your heart to him. Disclose everything that you're holding on to to him. Don't hold anything back and fully surrender your will to the master. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.